Amen. Well, as you're being seated, big day today. I know that this is uh, uh, certainly in the middle, sort of, no, not the middle of the summer, beginning of the summer, but middle of the summer for many, and a lot going on. Uh, we say goodbye, of course, to Herb Long today as far as being a staff person, certainly not as a friend, and, uh, you know, come as a surprise to a lot of people. I know that, but uh, everything, believe me, is working according to plan, and not my plan, but God's plan. Amen? And uh, that's what it's all about. And so a lot of other good things going on this morning with the bookstore opening up. And there's been some question, um, and this is just a good time to do this. Um, certainly we are going to be um, uh, trying to replace Herb's position uh, on staff, certainly. But also uh, we are uh, currently looking for um, one person to lead both of our music services and worship services, be a better stewardship uh, for the church. And uh, we have enlisted, actually, some people to help us with that. We have um, a lot of people on in the church going to be able to uh, weigh in on that. And so it's going to be a, a good choice for us. And uh, we're still looking. And so uh, we're, we're in the process of that. Also looking for an East Campus pastor uh, that we've been uh, out since uh, January. And um, people are wondering, well, what's, what's going to really take place there? And I was sharing with them this morning that what we're going to do is we're looking for someone that is can not only pastor but also um, preach there as well. And so uh, we've talked it over with everybody on uh, all the leadership uh, over these past months. And so we're looking for someone that can take uh, three Sundays out of the month to preach. And then I would go over there once a month, so three times a month, be going over there once a month, at least for a season, uh, to preach. And so uh, that'll free us up a little bit more here on this campus. And um, I, I know that we have so many more people here. I know all that, but nevertheless, they're very much a part of our church, and they understand that they have, they're going to have a campus pastor, and I am the campus pastor here, and so that's, that's the difference, okay? And so we're going to be looking at that. And so with everything that, we're, that is going on, you know, one of the things that I prayed so diligently uh, for at the first of the year, somebody says, what, what is the big prayer, uh, one of the big prayers of your heart for 2016? Well, it was because uh, what, what I was praying for was no change. And you say, well, Pastor, you must not have any contact with God at all. <laughs> and sometimes you feel that way, don't you? Sometimes you feel like, God, you've made me some promises, and you've cast a vision before me. Boy, I just don't see it. You know, I, ju I just don't see it. You you've, you've had a promise. You, you desperately need something in your life, and it just hasn't come about. And you think, what do I do? And you go to somebody and say, what do I do? What do I do? And they say, oh, you need to wait on the Lord. Man, that sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? You ever told anybody that before? Wait on the Lord. And you say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I don't know what that means. Nobody knows what that means. What does waiting on the Lord mean? But yet, it is an emphasis in the Bible in a big, big way. And we're going to be looking at that in the life of Abraham here in the next few minutes. And we're going to see some things about this. First of all, let me just say that Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. So there is a promise there for all of us here. There's a promise for your, your life, a vision for your life, a vision for our church as well. And tucked away in this passage, we want to look at three things about vision. Number one, the discovering of the vision. Then the delaying, the waiting on the vision. And then thirdly, the delivering of the vision. So let me read uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and also bless those who bless you. And the ones who curse you will be cursed. And, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and lot with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, discovering the vision. Now, just to set up this passage, Genesis 1 through 11 talk about creation, and it talks about how the beginnings of time really started, you know, with, with all the things going on with the flood and then later with the Tower of Babel. Now, in chapter 12, we see a turning of the corner, and the next 14 chapters are about a man. His name is Abraham. He would become the father of many nations. In fact, uh, the nation of Islam claimed him as father because Ishmael, uh, in Genesis chapter 16, born to him, is believed to be um, the father of the Muslim nation, uh, the Arab nation, I should say. And then also the Christians, or the Jews rather, claim him, of course, Abraham as the father of their faith because he is. Uh, the, the, chosen, the nation of Israel is the chosen people of the Old Testament. That's true, but they were chosen through a man. They were chosen through Abraham. And, of course, because Jesus, being a Jew, was born into this world, the Son of God, died on the cross for our sins, he now lives within our heart. He's the father of the Christian nation as well. So there was a great promise made to him, but Abram was originally in a place called Ur. U-R, chapter 11, talks about it. And he was uh, in his dad's household. His dad died. Now, Ur was about 250 miles from modern-day Baghdad. So it was a southern Iraq. And it was a remarkable civilization. It had great cities. It, had, it was a land of opportunity. It was, uh, had organized government. And so God came to Abram and said, Now look, I want you to live, leave a land of opportunity. I want you to go to a place, leaving this land of opportunity, leaving a place where you're so familiar, leaving your family, leaving your, your, your stuff behind, much of it, and I want you to go to a land, and I'm not even going to tell you where it is or where you're going or what you're going to be doing. Now, that's pretty tough. I was talking to um, a pastor and his wife, Pam and I were talking to him a few years back. And she said, I guess, she said, the problem in the ministry that I'm having is that my husband was called later in life, and I knew that. And so uh, we were already married, already had kids. Then we got into the ministry, and I just didn't know what I was getting into. And uh, I said, yeah, that's true. My you know, I was already in the ministry before I married Pam, and so she knew what she was getting into, and she looked at me, and she looked at them, and she says, oh, no, she didn't. You know, so, you know, a little sense of humor there that she has. And so, you know, he didn't know what he was getting into. He had no idea, but yet he did it anyway. He stepped out on faith. Now, no, notice the promise that he made here in chapter 12. He made a six-fold promise that begins in this chapter. He says, go forth from your country, your father's house, I will make you a great nation, number one. I'm going to make you a great nation. Number two, he says, I'm going to make your name great. He says, I will bless you and make your name great. So you shall be a blessing to everyone. That's a third thing. He was going to be a blessing to everyone as well. His family was going to be a blessing, and they have been. Then in chapter 15, we could read that he was, his, his descendants were going to be as numerous as the stars. The next promise had to do with land. He says, I'm going to give you this great promised land. Then, in chapter 15, he talks about a special son. Not only a promised land and a promised nation, but now it's going to all come through a promised son. His name would be Isaac. 
Now, the problem to all this was is that it came, the birth of Isaac was the key to the promise. And he came 25 years later. Listen to Genesis 17:5, because everything about the promise to Abraham and the vision for Abraham's life came through this one verse. No longer shall your name be called Abram. That is the father, that's what it means. But your name shall be Abraham, the father of many nations, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. Everything about the land, about the son, everything about the name being great centers around this one promise. But it did not come about through that son Isaac for 25 years. Now let's look at the vision, for example, of our church. It used to be our first vision when I came here 23 years ago was that we would share the gospel with so many people and send so many people out the sun would never set on the ministry of our church. We said that over and over and over again. Well, about three years ago or so, we discovered two or three years ago that we have met that goal. We've met that vision. So now our vision has to do with more the individual person. It says building lives that matter by leading people into a growing relationship with Christ. Now we have our baseball diamond to show you what we're going to be doing or what we have been doing, just like a lot of other churches do. It's reach on first base, then teach, serve, and then send. Now what have we been doing here? Well, certainly we've tried and tried as we have reaching people for Christ. Now we say goodbye to Herb and Dorothy this morning. And while Herb has been here, we, uh, and I brag on Herb, I'm really bragging on Jesus here. Can I brag on Jesus? Okay, thank you. Appreciate that, James. You and I are right there, right? Can we brag on Jesus a minute? Okay, three more joined you, buddy. All right. We have baptized about 4,500 people, or over 4,500 people since Herb's been here. 4,500 people. Now, I, I know that it's not all about him. I know that. It takes the whole staff, takes the whole church. Believe me, it does. But God has poured out his spirit. And the reason I say that is this. What's going on here is a little bit unique, but it's also vitally important. When I've talked to some, some of the city council members over the years, they have said that this church has more impact on the community than anything else around, more positive impact. We thought about relocating at one time. Man, it was, it was not good. It's not a good thing. They're, they're counting on us here. The people of this area are counting on us. And I'm not saying this to the detriment of any other church, but I believe that we have probably baptized more people in the last 20 years than all the other churches in the area put together. And I say that again just to say all churches that preach the Word of God are important. But this church, as we think about it, is vitally important. Now, as we change the name, changed, altered the vision a little bit for the next step to build Christ in you, what are we doing right now to try to reach people? Well, of course, we're advertising, and people think to themselves, well, we're advertising, we've got a billboard up, you know, for a while. And uh, thank God, you know, we, we found a billboard, by the way. We can pay for one month, and they won't take it down until somebody else pays for it. <clears throat> now, we can keep that thing up, baby, up six months. You know, don't tell anybody that, because <clears throat> uh, everybody knows which one it is, probably. But we've got the, the magnets on the cars, and boy, that's work. We've had people that come here and say, man, I'm seeing these magnets on the car everywhere I go. I want to go and check it out, see what's going on. Great. But we still need people telling people about Jesus. You know, I uh, kind of compare it to war, if I can, for just a minute. I thought about this not too long ago. You know, I watch some of the, the programs on TV, the news programs and all occasionally. And uh, 
you know, it talks about the Iraq war and uh, the war with uh, terrorism with Syria. And people are arguing, should, should we bomb, you know? And boy, if we just go in and bomb a bunch of things, then, uh, you know, we'll teach them a lesson, everything will be all right. And then some general will get on TV and say, look, you can't win a war by just bombing. You can't win it through the air. You soften up things. You, you uh, target military bases and airports so the planes can't get off the ground. And you soften up everything. But you still, in order to win a war, you have to do what? You have to have boots on the ground. Those are soldiers on the ground. Now, advertising, what that does, whether it's advertised by a billboard or guerrilla, what they call guerrilla advertising, you being so excited about your church, you're, you're putting things on your car and in your yard, and I hope you're doing those kind of things. That softens everything. What, what happens is when, I go in, when you and I go and share Christ with someone, they're thinking, Cross Life Church, Cross Life, oh, I've heard of that one. I got something in the mail about that. I saw the billboard about that. Or I see, I, yeah, I see these bumper magnets all over the cars. It softens things to where there's an identity there. Wow, I've heard about this. Yeah, I have asked myself the question, what are they doing? And now you're there to give them the answer that we're sharing Jesus. So important. This fall, and this is important because as, as Herb has been uh, carrying the mantle of evangelism for so long, we need to continue this. We're do, doing evangelism training this fall once again. And I would encourage you to stay tuned for those details. And if you don't know how to share your faith, it is the mo one of the most important things that you can do. Um, many of you realize that uh, I, we, Pam and I, were gone for a few weeks and uh, on vacation. And every time I go near Athens, Georgia, I want to stop by and see my dad. We were passing through on our way to North Carolina. And so I, I went to see my dad. My dad's 88 years old. He's uh, living alone. My sister lives right beside him. And so uh, we all went out to lunch. And as we were sitting there at lunch, my sister shared something with me. My sister is married now to uh, her second husband. But her first husband, when she got married uh, as a later teen, um, uh, early in life, um, left her and, and had some hard times in his life. And so, um, and she's very fortunate to have the man she has now. He's a wonderful guy. But I remember back when I was a teenager, my brother-in-law, my first brother-in-law was, was a good friend before he, he just sort of had the hard times. And uh, she, said, she looked at me across. She said, uh, Stanley is dying. Um, he has cancer, lung cancer. He only has three, four months to live. And I was sorry to hear it. I was. And I can remember a time when uh, I was challenged at the age of about 19 to go and start witnessing. And I was given this little booklet of tracts called The Four Spiritual Laws. Anybody ever heard of that? Campus Crusade puts it out. And uh, one of the first booklets ever for evangelism has four, you know, easy points, and you kind of read through them. And uh, I was challenged to do these surveys, and that was just sort of a crutch to sort of get you into the conversation. And so I thought, who, am, who in the world can I go and share that would be easy for me to share with. Well, I didn't know anything about witnessing. I didn't know your family was the hardest ones. And so I went, first one, talked to my sister and brother-in-law. I felt like they needed the Lord, and I was willing to share with them. Man, I'm telling you, that little track shook just like this the whole time. I couldn't read it, much less them. But you know, they looked, I remember them, their, the look on their face at first was kind of like, uh, they couldn't look at me, I was so nervous, you know. But then after a while, they began to listen. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon that place because 
they knew that I was not doing something I was comfortable with. I was doing something that was hard. And they were listening to me, and they became more intent and in listening to me. At the end of that time, I asked them, do you want to receive Christ? And both of them did. But in the time since then, and believe me, it was the greatest feeling in the world. If you've never experienced that, you, you've got to do that before you die. That's got to be on your bucket list. It is, it's the, great, the only thing that rivals that is the birth of your own baby. And so there I was. Man, I was jumping up and down in the car, you know. I mean, I was hitting my head on the, on, on the car ceiling on the, all the way home. But since then, hard times. Some rebellion on his heart. And so I'm, I'm driving back, and I'm thinking to myself, I should go by. God just spoke to me. You ought to go by and see him. I said, I haven't seen him in years. He said, yeah, but what would you say to him? I said, well, I'd thank him for being a good brother-in-law. Because for a while he was. Really was. And I really, boy, I really want to make sure that he really made that decision. It was real. Well, you need to go by and see him. And, of course, you know, I tell a story in my book about passing up an opportunity. And I, that, that came to my mind. And so I said, okay, I'll go. I didn't even know where he lived anymore. I just assumed he was living in the same house. Belonged to his parents before that. I, I thought, okay, he's probably living there. I go and knock on the door. Nobody comes. So I go back to my car. I open up the door, and I hear the door opening up behind me. And I thought, ooh, God, I thought I got out of this one. You know? <laughs> you know? But then I turn around. There he's standing there. Hardly recognized him. Really thin. Old, you know, you know what cancer does to a person. So I go in and talk to him. And, uh, I mean, just tears came to my eyes when I said, I, I just came by. I wanted to thank you for being a good brother-in-law to me, a good friend. And then I asked him about his relationship with God. And he assured me that his decision had been real. He'd come back to the Lord. Uh, his, my nephew, his son, texted me and said, thank you so much for coming by and visiting my dad. It meant so much to him. Kind of like a closure. And I share that with you just to say that, again, I don't know if I'd have even gone by and seen him if God had not laid it on my heart because of his salvation experience. There's nothing like leading someone to the Lord. We want to teach you. We want to teach you how to do that in that evangelism training this fall. Folks who are fighting a war, we're, we're on the front lines. It makes a difference. The church makes a difference. I want to move on real quickly. We, we need to teach people. We, we had a survey in our, in our congregation a couple of years ago and said, what do you need to know? What do you need to find out about the Christian life? And you gave us a big list, and we've been going through that list and trying to, I've been preaching about the culture. We've been teaching about marriage with Charles Lowry coming in, Paul Tripp this past year. We've been teaching uh, parenting in our, uh, in our age group ministries. We've been doing all these things in, in order to help you to grow in teaching you. I was, uh, I was at a, uh, a conference over the time I was off, a little bit of a conference, a couple of days, and uh, we met with this group. I, I meet with this group called Large Church Roundtable. A bunch of pastors kind of get around the table and we discuss issues uh, in our church and how we can help one another, kind of uh, support one another, pray for one another. So we met during the convention on a breakfast. Now, I didn't know we were going to discuss anything, but this guy brings up a topic. 
He says, we are called as pastors to make disciples. So the question he said, and he's very sincere, how do we make disciples when people don't show up? When people are not there. And a guy said, yeah, you know, I took a survey in our church, and 42% of our church only comes once, once um, a month or less. And people say, yeah, you know what, used to, one, one guy said, he, he, somebody asked a question, you preach short series of messages or long series? He said, well, I, I preached last, this past year, 21-week series of messages, and for my church, that was about a seven-week series. That's about all they showed up. Now, I know that I can I'm pick on you this morning, but boy, it, it just hit me in the heart, and I thought, boy, what else, I didn't say anything, but these other guys were saying, yeah, one guy said, you know, I'm really concerned I've got good Christian people in my church that are raising their children out of church. And he said, yeah, with all the things going on in life, they're, they're just not there. How do you disciple someone who's not there? And, and the answer is, I've thought about it since then, you don't. Because the reason the 11 were discipled by Christ is because they hung around with him. The reason why Paul was able to train up leaders, they hung around with him. They were faithful, but they were also available. And folks, when you're not available, when you're not there, it becomes so difficult to grow. Now think about it for just a moment. You've got 168 hours in the week. I was thinking about this on my ride back and forth, because I didn't say this in the first hour, but you've got 168 hours in the week, and you spend two and a half hours of it at church per week, once a week. And, um, well, that's less than 2% of your week. Somebody says, well, I show up on Wednesday night and I have a quiet time. Okay, 5% of your week. 5% of your week. Now, what, how, how much value does that really have? Well, I was talking to this one pastor and he said um, to me, he said, this past year has been the toughest year of my ministry. And I said, this, this is your first time? And he said, you know, I was just kind of bringing a little levity to it. And he says, oh, no. He said, it's not. I've faced things almost as bad before. But he said, you know, the difference is I'm taking it better this time. It's almost as though nothing's happening. And I said, that is a sign of maturity. So how important is this teaching, this maturity, this second base all about? You and I go through trials in life every day. We go through adversity in life on a consistent basis. How are we going to handle that? How we handle it and whether we quit or not, and stop what we're doing or not is going to be based on our Christian maturity. How do we mature in Christ? Well, we read the Bible for ourselves. We pray to God on our own. But we also go to a place like this, a church, where we can get the Word of God, where our children can get the Word of God, where they can grow. The most important thing about your kids is not what they do. It's who they are on the inside and how they can face life. How can we do that if, if people don't show up? So I challenge you. To think through what you're doing in life. Because the most important thing about our life is our faith. How much we can believe God in the trenches. How much we can believe God as we're going through the trials of life and the delays of life. We teach, we serve, we serve Central Florida. Uh, we're going to be doing this again where we've got, um, uh, in fact, we got other things like the, the bookstore going in so we can we can fellowship and get to know one another a little bit better, hang out a little bit, and we have a resource, a teaching resource where we can recommend things and 
do things and teach things on Wednesday night that maybe we couldn't do before because we have a resource. We're, we're building the ministry for you. We serve. We send. We have mission trips going on. But we know that we're not going to have the mission emphasis that we used to have until we have a global impact conference. That's where we bring all the missionaries from all over the world. You get the chance to meet them. We have three or four days of really concentrating on missions. We've got to have that. We're bringing that back in 2017. But you have a vision. We have a vision. And you think to yourself, well, the, the numbers maybe in church are not growing like we would like to. But it's not about the numbers. It's really not. When we were just growing double digits every year, we were thinking about reaching people for Christ and ministering to people. That's what it's all about. It's not just about the reason numbers are important. First of all, we got a stewardship here uh, in the building and all that. But the reason that numbers are important because every number represents somebody that we're trying to reach. Well, what about the delaying of the vision? It delays. This is a principle of, of Scripture. Abraham had to wait 25 years until he was nearly 100 years old. Now, sometimes it's natural reasons. The reason I say natural reasons, it's in the Bible. A seed, they, they talk about a seed being planted in the ground. What happens to the seed before it can produce anything? It has to die. It has to be, there's a delay there. There's a decaying that goes on, and that seed dies, and you put a, a corn seed into the ground, and I know this because I used to shuck corn and all that when I was growing up. You put the seed in the ground, a stalk grows up, and you may have three different, three or four different harvests in one year from all the, the corn that's on that one stalk. It multiplies itself, but it has to, it has to die first. There's always the delay. What about the, the Israelites with the Red Sea? They came out of Egypt. Man, they were all fired up. They were rich. All this stuff given to them just to get out of town. And they came to the Red Sea, and they were blocked in, the Bible says, on all sides. And the Egyptian army coming from the direction they were coming, they had come from. What are we going to do? Man, we're just out here in the, in the wilderness just to die. Moses, you've led us to the wrong place. Didn't, didn't you get better direction from God? Man, what an idiot you are. You backed us into the Red Sea. And God came through with a great miracle, a supernatural miracle, to divide the Red Sea, and all the Israelites passed on dry land. What about the resurrection of Christ? All the disciples were so discouraged at the cross. They ran for their lives. They hid. They were depressed. But then three days later, after the delay, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This is a scriptural principle. Joseph had to wait until he was 30 years old to lead the nation of Egypt. He was a, a prisoner for those 13 years. Everybody, wait, wait, wait. There's a delay because God wants to do something, a supernatural thing in our life. And that's it. Sometimes it's natural. Sometimes it's unnatural. Sometimes we're not in the place where we need to be. But sometimes it's just plain supernatural. God wants to do something. Listen to what Paul Maxwell has said. God seldom provides a reason. He rarely offers an answer, but he always offers himself. What about in your life? If you're sitting there this morning, you're thinking, yeah, I thought I'd be buried by now. Yeah, I thought I'd have kids by now. I thought this, I thought that. But what about, what about me right now? What do I need to do as I wait on the vision? Well, let's look thirdly at the delivering of that vision. Because if we wait, we look, and we wait, and we wait, what do we do? In chapter 21 of Genesis, God appears to Abraham's wife and says, finally, look, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be Isaac. 
And he's going to be uh, the, the child of promise. Finally got the promise after 25 years. So what did they do and what do we do? First of all, you need to be patient. You need to be patient. 25 years of faithfulness, folks. You just need to hang in because the Bible says, and without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is rewarder of those who seek him. Now, I don't have any problem believing God is. As a matter of fact, if you have any problem believing God is, if you are intellectually honest and read some stuff, you're going to come to the conclusion God's got to be there. But is he a rewarder of those who seek him? Or is he just picking and choosing and saying, ah, this one, this one. I must not be chosen. I must not be the one to be blessed. No, he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, what happens, because I know where you're coming from. I, I, I'm there, okay? Been there, done that, I'll be there again. But you think to yourself, yeah, but God, this should have happened. And it didn't happen. It just didn't happen. Or it hasn't happened yet. Why? Well, you see, I know when I get in that situation that I'm assuming something about my life. I'm assuming that I'm omniscient, that I'm all-knowing. Because X, Y, Z should have happened, and it didn't happen. How do I know X, Y, Z should have happened? I, I don't know everything. I'm assuming something that's just not true. And so I think to myself, X, Y, Z should have happened, and there's been no promise there at all. And James says, come now. Today or tomorrow we go with such and such and do such and such city. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wills. But listen to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. I, I pray uh, that God would give me a, a real uh, guidance to preach on this through this book at some point. Wonderful book. But in verse one, verse 3 rather of this, it says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Now look at that. The vision is yet for an appointed time. It hastens toward the goal. God says, I've given you a vision, and it's, it's running toward the goal. I'm putting everything together in order to make that happen. Even in, in what is going on with our, our staff as a church. I mean, you, you wonder how a football team like New England Patriots could, could come up with a winning team every year. Now, whether you like them or not, it's not the point. How did they come up with a winning team every year? They just retweak, we retweak, we, and, and, but enough people that have big salaries... Uh, leave for free agency, others retire, and they replenish themselves a little bit at a time. What this is at least doing, and I'm just trying to come up with a positive look on it and see what God's doing, this gives us a, a, a chance to, to, to reinvent a few things that will minister to our community a little bit better because that we're, we're, we're seeing so many staff at one time do something else. That's a, that can be a real plus for us, folks. Because every time somebody leaves one at a time, all you do is, is just really, you can't rethink anything. You just got to simply replace what you have rather than maybe combine some positions on a few things. So let's throw the verse back up there. I know you like my picture, but I want to see the verse. All right? Uh, I'm joking. Herb, where are you? Don't laugh. Okay, let me do this for you. You move. You move. Let me do this for you. All right. Now I'm ready. For the vision, I'm here all week, folks. Now, um, it hastens toward the goal and will not fail. God's vision's not going to fail. Throw, though it tarries, that means you've got to wait. It's not overnight. 
Wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Now, that seems kind of contradictory. It's not going to delay. No, it's an appointed time when God says it's time for it to happen. It will not delay. But in the meantime, we're patient. In the meantime, we wait. God's working in our life. He's making us more mature. Job says, by this way I take it, he's tried me. And once he's tried me, I will come forth as gold. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when we fall into various trials, knowing this, the trying of our faith works patience and patience experience. And it talks about uh, producing endurance in our life and endurance having its perfect work so we may be perfect or mature, lacking in nothing. A vote for patience is a vote for maturity, but also you remain obedient. If I can just uh, share with you that, we look at the example of Abraham. He remained obedient to the Lord. He did what he could. But in Habakkuk, in that same chapter, in verse 3, it says in verse 1, it starts off, and I, this is not on your screen because I'm kind of throwing this in, but this is a great, great verse. I will stand, he says, on my guard post. While I'm waiting, I'm going to remain obedient. I'm going to be at my post. I'm not quitting. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to stay steadfastly where I am called to be at that time. Then he goes on to say, in other words, I'm going to still work. We talk about waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. When we go to a restaurant, we have a waiter. I know they're called servers now, but waiters. And they're not waiting, they're serving. That's the reason I guess they changed their name. They changed their title. They're not waiting around, they're serving sometimes frantically to get everything done. We wait on the Lord, we wait, we serve, doing what we've been doing while we're waiting for the next step. Then he says, and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision. So he's talking about here, what is he, what is he saying? The rampart. That's an unfortunate interpretation of the word tower. He says, keep on your post. Keep by your post, but keep in perspective. What happens when you're on the ground? Well, you see every little thing going on around you. You can see the ants crawling on the sand. But you get up in a tower, you can't see the ants, but you can see what's coming. You can see the big picture and not just the little picture. Um, I tell a story about vision. It's the greatest illustration I've ever come, come to me about vision. helps me understand it. When I was, uh, a few years ago, my, my mom, when she was still alive, uh, got sick. She had to go to the hospital. I needed to go, and I remember somebody that uh, owned a plane in our church that offered me a ride. Anytime I wanted to go, I never, never had taken him up on it. So I called him up, and I said, I need, to, I need to go, and I can't get a ticket this quick. I need to go today. Could you take me? And he says, sure. So we hopped in a plane. We're flying to Athens, Georgia. And uh, we're up in the sky, and he says, hey, you want to give it a shot? You want to pilot the plane? And I said, sure. And so there I was, and he says, now, I want you to watch this little instrument right in front of you. When you get a little off, you need to correct it. Well, I try to be perfect with it, you know. And I get a little off, and I, I change, I overcorrect. I get going too left, and I overcorrect. And I guess we were going sort of like this. <laughs> because he said, after a few minutes, he said, well, I better take over. We need to get to Athens before dark. And so uh, <laughs> that was an encouraging remark. And so we were on our way back, and he says, hey, you want to try it again? I said, sure. 
We'll try it again. And he said, this time, instead of looking at the instrument, why don't you look, pick out a cloud out there or something on the ground where you can aim at. And, and I think that'll keep you going straight. And that's what I did. And if I can brag on myself just a little bit, just a little, okay? It was going so good that he said, hey, you want to land it? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, no, no, really, you can land it. And I said, no, no, really, I can't. And we even got close to the lake, and I said, uh, dear, dear Lord, I pray that he'll take over. <laughs> but the point was, as long as I looked at everything right here, I'd overcorrect every time I got a little off. But when I looked out there with a greater perspective, I could keep it straight. We look at things around us, and then we overcorrect. Oh, something must be wrong with my life. Things aren't going well in my life. Uh, boom, I'll do this. I'll do this. Instead of looking out ahead and saying, no, this is the vision for my life. And I'm going to follow it, stay faithful. I'm going to stay at my post. And I'm going to stay in right perspective in the tower. As we look at this, I just want to say that we need it in closing. We need to live expectantly. That's what being a rewarder of those who seek him is all about. God, I'm expecting something to happen in my life. I'm anticipating something really great. And you think, oh, I don't know if my life can ever have a comeback or not. I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I know things can get discouraging sometimes. But I'm reminded of what just happened. I know it's another sports analogy. Ladies, I apologize. If you write anything down, just send it to Rick Ray. But... Um, or her. Send it to her. <laughs> um, but the Cleveland Cavaliers, who would have thought? What happened to that? They beat, they beat uh, Golden State. Golden State set a record this year, more wins, I think, than any other basketball team in the National Basketball Association in history, if I'm not mistaken. And if I am mistaken, don't say anything. Um, but I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right about that. And they got to the finals. And no one has ever come back from being down three games to one. And the Cleveland Cavaliers were one game away from total elimination. And Golden State was one game away from the championship. And no one, no one had ever come back. Now, you, you have a situation where your back's to the wall. You're at the Red Sea in sports. You have no history behind you at all. And you're playing the greatest team maybe in basketball history. And they came back. To win three consecutive games. Now, if the determination, the human determination of a few men can make that happen, what, do, what kind of comebacks do you think can happen with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? It's unlimited. Henry Blackaby, in his book, Experiencing God, had a great quote. Some people say, God will never ask me to do something I cannot do. I've come to the place in my life that if the assignment I sense God is giving me is something that I know I can do, I know it's probably not from God. The kind of assignments God gives in the Bible are always God-sized. They're always beyond what people can do because he wants to demonstrate his nature, his strength, his provision, and his kindness to his people and show himself to a watching world. 
That is the only way the world will come to know him is when they see God do a work in our lives. What about you today? What about you? Don't you want to become that kind of witness? If you do, the joy of the Lord will come back into your heart. Don't you want to grow in the Lord and, and be where you can grow and your family can grow? Don't you want to keep serving even while you're waiting? Would you put yourself in the right perspective then this morning and understand God not only has a vision for this church, he's got a vision for you. And that vision starts with Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross that we might call God our Father. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if the prayer of your heart is to make a difference, then you've got to allow God to make a difference in your life first. And that is by trusting him as your personal Savior and Lord. At that point, he will have a vision for your life. You won't know what it is right off the bat, but he has a plan for every one of his children. And I'm going to give you this opportunity to walk out today and be able to call God your Father by trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord. Won't you do that this morning? As our heads are bowed before the Lord, I invite you to pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. I want to count for you, and I want you to count for me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me today. Make me the person that you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear friends, if you pray to receive Christ right then, there's a card that's located inside your bulletin we told you about at the very first of the service, a welcome card. On the back of that card, there's a place there where it says, I'm receiving Christ into my heart. If you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, I want you to put a little check in that box. Make sure your information's on the front so we can follow up with you and make sure you get the literature in your hands you need to take the next steps so you can grow as a Christian. But if you want to start that today and not next week and we get back to you, then why don't you um, make a decision this morning publicly? Why not? A courageous stand for Christ. You prayed that prayer, you come and take one of these gentlemen by the hand and say, I prayed that prayer with the pastor. And we'll get started right now. We'll pray with you right now. We're not going to embarrass you, not introduce you at all. We just want to get started helping you. Then the altar is open. You're saying, God, I want to be a soul. I, I, I want to be a witness. I, I, want to, I want that experience of coming to see someone know the Lord because of my witness. I want to grow in the Lord. Lord, I, I have not been where I needed to be with you. I haven't been on the post. I haven't been staying. I haven't been thinking about your perspective. I've been kind of maybe discouraged. And so you come to the altar and say, God, would you do a new work, a new anointing in my life? Come to the altar right now. Hey, if you want to join the church, I want to be a part of a church like this. Great church where God is. Then you come. The church doors are open as, all, as always, and we'd love to have you. You come. Right now, as the band leads us, stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you pray for yourself, and then would you pray for those around you as I pray for you? And the altar is open. Right now, you've heard the invitation. Come. Thank you.